everybody. Welcome to the first edition of Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, I mentioned in the opening we have Matt Costa with us as well. How you doing, Matt? Good luck today. And, uh, of course, Evan is here as well. How you doing, Evan? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited here. Yeah, you should be. You should be. The spooky South Coast. Received some phone calls this morning. People seemed induced that this was going to happen. And that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping people can call in and share with us their uh, experiences with the paranormal. You know, maybe uh, you have a ghost in your attic. Maybe one time an alien ship landed in your backyard and took you away for a little ride. Uh, so we will take your calls at 508-996-0500 and uh, for Wareham in the Cape, 508-291-0500. Uh, let me just give you guys a rundown of how this show is going to work. Uh, tonight at about uh, 10.20 or so, we're going to have a special guest joining us. Uh, his name is Keith Johnson. He's a demonologist. He works with the Atlantic Paranormal Society, better known as TAPS, from the sci-fi channel show Ghost Hunters. And he's also going to be teaching a course here in New Bedford on ghost hunting for those of you that would like to get into it. He's going to join us at about 10.20 and talk to us for a little while about that, and he'll also take your phone calls. And then, of course, uh, we have two action-packed hours here for you every week, and the entire second hour we're going to leave open to all your calls, to all your stories, to what you guys want to talk about, to all the things that you don't hear the rest of the time on WBSM. So, And I see already the phone calls are lighting up, so uh, we'll, we'll just hold off a little bit because I want to give Mr. Johnson a chance to join us. And uh, No, I swear. Well, it's, it must be something paranormal. The lights were on, and then all of a sudden they went off again. So, so um, the guest that's coming up, Tim, uh, works for uh, Sci-Fi. What was the guy that we're going to speak with him? But maybe we could just tell the folks for like a two-minute shot here, uh, a little bit about his show and, and what they can expect. For those of you that haven't seen Ghost Hunters, it's uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel. It's a big hit program, and it's like a reality-based show where there's this group that goes out and free of charge they investigate paranormal activity in different locations. It started off regional around the uh, the, the Rhode Island area. They even did the New Bedford. Armory uh, in the first season, but it's really taken off and it's really expanded. And I know they have a new season coming up, which maybe Keith can talk a bit about, where they're going to uh, explore some various other locations. I think when I talked to Steve Gonzalez back in October, they're heading uh, out to Texas. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see them get around the country and some of those uh, haunted places. I mean, they've done the Shawshank Prison uh, out in Ohio. Uh, they've done uh, Eastern States Penitentiary down in uh, Pennsylvania. So. Uh, Keith is a guy who has plenty of experience in this, and uh, I'm not sure, I believe he was along, the ride, along for the ride with the New Bedford Armory, so we can talk to him about, a bit about that as well. And now, uh, uh, you know, Evan, a lot of people say, you know, uh, I don't believe in the paranormal, or, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical about that. You and I, we're a couple of people that, you know, we're, we're pretty grounded in this, we have some, some beliefs in this. Matt's a little bit more on the skeptical side. So I think between the three of us, we should have a good balance, but, you know, why don't, why don't you tell people what your interest is in the paranormal? My interest in the paranormal is to obtain lottery numbers <laughs> 24 hours prior to them coming out. But if it, if it was that easy, then every psychic and every medium would have all the lottery numbers. I'm kidding. Hey, that was kind of funny. You could have you smiled, boy. I told you he was skeptic. He He's even skeptical of comedy. Um, simply put, and, and people are going to laugh at me, uh, we're not alone. We're not alone. Uh, I, I do believe that spirits exist, uh, you know what I mean? I mean not just demons. I believe that there's guardian angels. Uh, guardian angels swoop down and touch you on the shoulder just when you need them the most to keep you on the straight and narrow. I firmly believe that spiritually, on the spiritual side, you know. I believe people, some people don't rest. Uh, you know what I mean? I, you guys haven't asked me what this book is here. You do have this giant book in front of you. This book is a book uh, 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 called New Beginning, and it goes through the, the day of the fire until the construction of the new house. Why don't you fill on the listeners in case they're unfamiliar? Some, some of the listeners are familiar with this, but for the new ones that may not be, here, here's the scoop in a nutshell. Our old home, we lost our old home on October 18, 2003. Prior to that, though, all those years that we lived there, about 18 and a half years, we always felt that there was an extra border that wasn't paying me rent in the house, you know what I mean, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know what happened? 
to be somebody not of a corporal body, or else he would be getting his portion of the rent. Yeah, and I think they used to eat my marshmallow pies, too. I can't prove that. Anyways, we, we always thought that there was an additional spirit in, in the house, and, um, of course, he, you know, never saw anything. Once in a while, you hear things. Once in a while, things would just be awkward, and it, it just wasn't us. You know, there, there are a couple of people who come to our home all the time who, who also believe what we, you know, believe. So anyways, the fire goes through. Um, uh, during the course of the fire, uh, after the fire, I'm sorry, uh, we have a shell of a home and we have to, um, we have to demolish what's left. So during this process, photos are being uh, uh, taken. After the photos were taken, um, we, we reviewed them and we're looking at them and we see this bright light. Wow. And, and we don't know what this bright light is. Uh, so we examine it and we examine it and we, and we get it blown up and blown up. And I'm going to point to you now. You can see these lights and these are real photos. Yeah, you're going to have to get up. Move your mic, would you, Tim, so we can see this. Um, these are real photos. And this is the back of the house. This is the front of the house. This whole section of the wall is missing. This one over here, you're going to be able to get a good look at. Okay, there's a bright light. And we're obviously in a tenement next door. You see the little black lines? That's the screen on her window, you know? So you can tell, you know, that these are really... See the screen mesh? Because we're taking pictures through her window. Now, folks, uh, for those of you familiar with paranormal photography, uh, you're familiar with the concept of orbs, which are these round balls of light that appear in photographs that, you know, people think are representative of some sort of spirit or some sort of uh, spiritual activity. These pictures here are some of the most incredible orbs I've ever seen. Now, as you follow the lights, look, look in this one, and I don't know if Matt can see this. He might have to come over here or I can turn the book. Look at this right here. Look at this right here. Oh, it's blown up. Yeah, there's actually look at this. There's actually a form. Tell me what that is. There's a form outside. It's almost angelic in shape. Tell me what that is. This is what I think it is. I mean, you're going to think that I'm nuts, okay? Because everybody else that's seen them, I my family and my neighbors and stuff. And I had some listeners on my, on my morning talk show that I've talked to about this before, and they want to see the photos. In fact, uh, I'll show them so that people out there, if you, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, you can ask me. I'll, I'll yeah. keep this book, and you can come by Monday. Well, I mean, it's, it's up to you since it's your personal property, but uh, uh, on our website, we do have a website, www.spookysouthcoast.com. We will have the ability to post uh, paranormal photographs up there for people to see. I don't know what that is, but I believe. Do you see this right here? Mm-hmm. Those, what do those look like? It looks, it looks like wings. It like wings. It looks angelic in form. Right, and you see, you see how it's white and hanging down. Look at this outside the light here. This is a close-up outside the light. Now inside the light, this, because this is not just this. That's all you're seeing in these six photos. Inside the light, if we have this, if we have these photos here, I, I you know, I may not. Sandy might have uh, kept them, but inside the light, there's another figure. There's more than one figure. There's a figure inside the light, and that figure outside the light. Now, Matt, you you, you being the ultimate skeptic over there, and you're looking at me like uh, I'm some kind of uh, Harry Houdini. You see this. What is it? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what it is. <laughs> now, Mike, what do you mean you're not exactly sure what it is? Uh, I'm more of a skeptical believer myself. But... He is, he is, I am starting to bring him over to the, to the uh, believer side, but now, Mike, my question to you is, are these, is this light static? I mean, I'm not familiar with the way your house looked before, and it's kind of hard to tell uh, considering the shape that it was in at the time. But is that light static, or has it moved throughout different areas of the house? You know, I, I, I think it, it moved, I think, when... Because uh, it looks like, like it's in different sections around the pictures. I think it moved when, when my next-door neighbor, Vicky and Sandy, were taking the pictures. Sandy, you're listening. Uh, call. Call. Yes, please. Oh, you know that special number, Sandy. Now, now, <laughs> and answer these questions for me. She won't call. She's too shy. Sandy was the one taking the photographs. But well, Sandy and I think uh, uh, our, our friend Dottie uh, Dean and I think our next-door neighbor, Vicky. Were, were these lights visible to the naked eye when they were being taken, or did it only show up on the film later on? I know, it showed up on the film later on. When they were taking the photos, uh, you didn't see it. Uh, you can tell they see the photos, how they're taken in, uh, in progression here, you know, that's that front, that big front end loader. You see how, how they're tearing down the, the back part and then they move this out the way they're forward, you know, forward, forward, forward. 
so all these hours just following this big uh, wrecking thing here that was scooping up all this dirt. See a big pile of rubble that he's he built like a ramp to get up to the second floor. I mean, it's it's hard to explain here to to people that are that are listening, but I'll, I'll try to give you the best I can. N now, somebody might look at these photos and they say, okay, well you had a screen, so you were taking that picture behind a glass of a storm window. But if that was the case, if it was the reflection of a flash, then that reflection of the flash would be centrally located in the picture each time, or in the position of the flash, and it's not. It's in different areas of the photograph. So one of the main uh, components of having an actual quote-unquote orb photograph is that it seems to have its own intelligence and it follows its own path. It's not uh, st stationary, it's not reflective. I mean, this is definitely self-luminescent, and it definitely seems to follow its own path. Now, did the... And I, and it, it moved uh, from room to room, Tim. That, I remember uh, them telling me. Did you, show the, did you show the photographs to any of the demolition people that were there? No, um, no, because they didn't. We didn't take them right out. Didn't, didn't develop until later. It would be interesting to see if maybe when they were taking apart the house, if anybody had any kind of, you know, experience or any kind of weird feeling. But if if that truly is an angelic figure uh, in there, and that's what it looks like to me, then my guess would be. Uh, like you said, it's almost like a guardian angel. Now, the reason why I had you explain is for people outside the area that are listening to us online that haven't understood the story, but your family, everybody got out okay. Uh, yeah, myself and my son, um, and my son's friend, Luke, were the only ones home. Sandy was uh, coaching soccer with my daughter, who was having a game. I think she was coaching that day. I know my daughter, Aaron, was, was playing anyways. Um, and I had come home a couple hours earlier having a soccer game. Uh, myself and my son and his buddy was with us so yeah everybody was able to get out of the house okay the worst nightmare for my wife you know you, you, you turn a corner on the street that you live and then you see all this EMTs and fire engines and you stink to yourself oh please don't let that be my house and of course she puts up she went ah, that's my house what did you do Robin man no, I'm only kidding. She didn't do that. Okay, I think we need to take a break right now, and then we will come back on the other side of that break with uh, Keith Johnson, the demonologist from TAPS, and uh, Evan's just uh, working with computers with me right now. This is a brand new show, folks, so we have all newfangled technology to deal with. But like I said, we're going to try and get some of these photos. If Evan will be gracious enough, we'll post them up on SpookySouthCoast.com once we have that capability working. And so, um, I, I think people who, who know me know that. Play games, you know. Oh, and when they see these photos for themselves, and, and it's clear as day, Tim. Isn't it clear as day? Oh, absolutely. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I look at it and I say, you know. I'm going to bring it to my parish priest, I think. I want him to look at it. I want to see his, his reaction. You can tell there's, no, there's nothing hanging there. Because look, the, the track, look, here it is, and the track is ripping down the wall. Yeah, it appears in different areas of the, of the building. It appears in different. So it's always the same form, and it's always seems to have this angelic trail behind it. Yep. All right, you want to take a quick break and uh, try to get your guest on? We'll get Keith Johnson on the phone from TAPS from the show Ghost Hunters, and we'll talk about demonology. All right, all right, folks. Uh, good evening, Saturday night, January 20th, 2006, or 10 and 20. You're listening to Spooky South Coast. We'll be back in just a couple of quick minutes. Don't go away. The Patriots create a game plan, but can they guarantee victory? No, sorry, that's football. But Alex's Furniture Warehouse creates a game plan for you that includes the highest quality furniture and mattress choices around, then backs it with a 90-day price guarantee. Can they do that? Yes, because that's Alex's. It's your 90-day price guarantee, complete on any mattress, including the widely popular Tempur-Pedic. Find a lower price within 90 days and get the difference back in cash. Alex's Furniture Warehouse off Alden Road in Fairhaven, next to the Mass Lottery Building. Call 508-994-1818. When it comes to doing your banking, you have two choices. You can be a customer. I'm sorry, you'll just have to wait. Or you can be a member. Hi, how can I help you today? Be honest. Wouldn't you really rather be a member of St. Anne's Credit Union of Fall River? Call toll-free 1-877-782-6637 or visit our website at stannes.com and find the neighborhood branch closest to you. St. Anne's Credit Union of Fall River, member NCUA, member MSIC. An equal opportunity lender. 
Some dealers who claim they have the lowest cost are the same dealers who spend millions of dollars each year in the newspapers. So much for lower cost. Hi, I'm Denise Bruno, owner of Route 44 Toyota, and most of my business comes from repeat customers and their referrals. So while I'll match any deal, any time, I promise my team will take care of you when you're ready for your next car. For great service, come to Route 44 Toyota on the Rainham Auto Mile. Stop by or visit us online at Route44Toyota.com. The doctor has a remedy. Hi, I'm chiropractor. If you're looking to redo your kitchen, Fairhaven Lumber will come out to your house and take all the measurements, show you the styles, selections, and colors, and how it would fit your kitchen and your budget. Then they'll show you a 3D computer illustration of the completed kitchen, all at no cost. The installation, plumbing, everything taken care of by Fairhaven Lumber. And you got to check out their new and improved drive-through lumber yard. You drive through and there's someone right there to serve you. So remodel a kitchen or bath or create your own projects, you always find what you need at Fairhaven Lumber. They're on all the road in Fairhaven. Personal Professional 24-7. It's the only thing you should settle for when a loved one needs care. It doesn't matter if it's because they're rehabilitating an injury or they've just undergone surgery. The reason doesn't matter. What matters is the care has to be personal, professional, and 24-7. Which means the care starts with the Oaks Nursing Center at 4525 Cushman Avenue. Call 508-998-7807 today for more information. Short-term or long-term care. The Oaks, a premier nursing center operated by Life Care Centers of America, a national leader of subacute and long Long-term care. The Oaks Nursing Center. Don't go now. The spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Johnson, you are on the air. Good evening, sir. How are you? You are on the air. Hello, Keith. Uh, hello, Keith. Man, the paranormal forces are against us here tonight. We just had him uh, on the... I just, I just spoke with him. I told him to hold on. Are you, are you there, sir? No, he's not. I'm going to try the number again. Go ahead, Tim. Okay, well... Uh, I know you have some other stuff to anyway, do, yes, I'll try to get Mr. Johnson back on the line. And, uh, of course, uh, also, in future episodes of Future Edition Spooky South Coast, we're going to have uh, people from Fate Magazine on with us, and that's the, the world's leading paranormal magazine. It's like the Reader's Digest of the Strange and Unknown. And uh, it was an interesting story that I saw in here recently. Now, there's a lot of horror movies that have been coming out lately. And, uh, Matt, you're a big horror movie fan as well. There's a story in, in one of the latest editions, the January 2006 edition, about horror films and the curses surrounding them. Now, for those who haven't heard, the movie Poltergeist is one of those movies where, you know, uh, strange circumstances happen around it. And the, the little girl, Heather O'Rourke, that played Carol Ann, she passed away from, uh, from basically from the, from the flu during the filming of the final version and uh, Dominique Dunn who played the little sister in the first movie was choked to death by her boyfriend around the first one so I mean, Matt it, you know The Exorcist Poltergeist these kind of movies happen what is it about this kind of do you think it's like kind of like an, a forcing your way into into the demon world or something well I'm not exactly my skeptic nature uh, again uh <laughs> Uh, we'll bring Mr. Johnson in to see what he thinks about this. All right, Keith, are you with us this time? Hi, Keith. Hello, I'm here. Okay, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? All right, and uh, we were just talking uh, about uh, some of the, the latest issue of Fate. They have some stories about some of these horror movies that have had these haunted happenings around them, such as Poltergeist, The Exorcist, you know, movies to that effect. Do you think that, uh, as a demonologist, do you think that sometimes there's a, an evil force surrounding these type of productions? Actually, yes, I do. I definitely do think there is. I think that uh, that would go along with the law of attraction, where because people are acknowledging it or speaking about it or dealing with the subject matter that these forces can be attracted to it. I do believe that's a possibility, yes. And, and uh, now why don't you explain to people exactly what a demonologist does, because when you hear the term demonologist, you know, some people might think almost uh, an evil connotation with it, that you're a conjurer of demons, and some people might think it's a, almost like a scientific study. But what exactly does a demonologist do? A demonologist 
very plainly and simply studies the function and the history of demons and the nature of demons, studies as much as possible, as much information as is available about demons, about the world of the demonic, and tries to apply that knowledge actually to help people, not to summon or conjure demons, but actually to help people who are afflicted with problems and have had experiences and brushes with the demonic. Now, That's what, what a demon demonologist does. What type of uh, what type of investigation is done into a situation to determine whether or not it's a, a, a regular haunting or or a parapsychological episode, or it might be you know like a, a poltergeist activity or or telekinetic activity? How do you determine when it's actually a negative entity at work? Usually, when we come into a situation. We interview the client, whoever has called us in. Usually it's a client who's called us in because they're experiencing problems and they have nowhere else to turn. We come in, we interview the client, we try to assess the situation, we get as much in information as possible about the background of this person too, to see whether they are legit. Then after we have our information, we go about investigating the premises and we try to get any possible evidence of spirit activity. Now often there is no spirit activity evident when we first arrive on a scene. Sometimes we have to spend a considerable amount of time exploring, trying to find out what is causing this activity, if any, if the activity is actually present. Now if we do establish that spirit activity is present, then we try to determine what type of spirit activity it is. It could be something very low key, it could be something just very, very minor activity on a spiritual level. It could be the person themselves causing it, as sometimes the case with poltergeist. You've heard of poltergeist activity, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Sometimes it is the person themselves that's actually causing this. Through Before you, uh, Mr. Johnson, yes. Evan Rousseau, I'm one of the co-hosts on Spooky, uh, on Spooky South Coast, excuse me. How do you do? Uh, good, and I'm one of the regular uh, everyday talk show hosts, too. Um, maybe you could explain just a, a little bit to the listening audience what poltergeist, uh, what you mean by that when they say a person is, is doing it uh, and it's coming out of them like a, a poltergeist. I understand, I understand, Tim understands, but some of the people in our listening audience may not, and if you could just kind of give a little bit more of an explanation, that would be great. Okay, sure. And you know, like a definition to the poltergeist and what you meant? Right, exactly. A poltergeist, the name is a German word. It, it literally means mischievous or noisy or rattling ghost. That's what it means. You know, I didn't, I didn't know there was a German word. See, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. Poltergeist, meaning noisy ghost, literally translated. And uh, what that means, usually, there's any number of a range of, of phenomena going on with a poltergeist. It can be very low-level, very low-key, such as wrappings um, in the wall, tappings, um, furniture bouncing, things like that. And it can be much more horrendous if we can get into uh, water poltergeist, where water is dripping spontaneously out of nowhere. And sometimes we have fire poltergeist, where little flames are starting out in the house, which, of course, is very dangerous. But I'd like to emphasize, this is very rare, too. Right. Very rare phenomena. Um, now, when you say it's the person themselves that's ca uh, causing the poltergeist, what do you mean by that? Sometimes, when there's a poltergeist, it will center around one person. Of course, this is true of the uh, demonic infestation, too. But with the poltergeist, uh, Usually there's one person at the center of it. Often this will be a child who is on the verge of puberty, who is going through a mix of hormonal changes and uh, varying emotions. Sometimes they're going through trauma. Some, somehow this seems to be acted out through seemingly paranormal activity. It's almost as if the person themselves, through their teenage angst or pre-teenage angst, is causing this phenomena to happen. Or is it because their bodies are, are vulnerable and these, and these spirits take advantage of that and enter and and in, into them while they have that opening? Yes, sometimes spirits are involved. Sometimes spirits do get involved. And 
And of course, it's uh, very mysterious because it's an unseen world. But so quite often, it seems to be um, perhaps a young person that's involved that's going through some kind of emotional trauma that seems to set this off. Now, I've heard that uh, one of the clues uh, to determine whether or not it's a, a spiritual haunting or a poltergeist centering around a person's own subconscious is that a lot of the times the phenomena will be directly related to something having to do with the person that's the center of the activity. Uh, for example, if you know a, a child doesn't, a teenager doesn't want to go to bed at the assigned time, they'll go to bed and the bed will start shaking. Is that something that you've seen a lot of out in the field? In minor degrees, I wouldn't say I've seen a lot of that. I've seen, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to an alarming degree. But I wouldn't say it's actually, uh, we see a lot of it. Sometimes we do see that. I have a few more questions, but before we do that, uh, Mr. Johnson, is it all right if I call you Keith? Oh, yes, please do. Please do. And I think so, because I've been calling him that. And please call me Evan. Uh, okay. Most of the city here does. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Mr. Johnson, I think of my father. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I like to be polite. Thank um, you very much. I have a caller call, calling in, probably with a question, so I'm going to pass them through the, the wonderful magical world of radio. Did you have a question for Keith Johnson? Oh, um, yeah, actually. Well, do, you know, do you know anything about the South End and uh, the tunnels down there? It's a real dark. The South End in New Bedford? Yeah, yeah. I'm mean, not so calling in with any, any question about what we're talking about. Hello. Well, for those people that do have uh, personal questions and stories they want to share, we'll talk about that stuff in the second hour. Yeah, right now, we don't have something to do with paranormal. Or? No, he, he obviously there's a, a problem with the, the tunnels in the city here that the lights must have blown and they're in darkness. And yeah. he probably wasn't listening to the radio, but they know our number because, you, you know what I mean? We're, we're like a local resource for people that have questions. I can't, yes, we are. We, we put out plenty of information, and if someone was here in the newsroom, I would go look it up for that. I was wondering. There might be some secret society. That's what I was wondering, because I, I don't know how it's free. Hey, you never know. I don't know how it's free. 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 I don't I lost in the fire where you can actually see a clear image in this bright light and I, I, I should get them to you you know uh -huh. yeah I'd be interested in seeing that right and I'd, I'd be interested in hearing what you think they are but anyways take me from the time you ring someone's doorbell somebody calls you right uh, um, you say hello Ghostbusters no I'm only kidding uh, I'm only right. kidding <laughs> um, right. and you go to their home do you immediately as as that that investigator in you do you size up that person that's calling you first off to see if they're you know got both feet on the ground and, and both eyes and, and do you take that into accountability what, what that person you know that your first impression of that person that's calling you before you go and set up equipment and start looking for something because I would imagine there's some people out there that just want to make things up and waste your time mm -hmm. so do you take all that into a, into a, you know when you first meet the individual that calls you well we do take the, the person themselves into consideration we try to size up the situation and where the person is coming from. However, no matter where this person is coming from, um, as far as uh, mental illness, emotional stability, we do admit there's the possibility that some paranormal activity could be going on. So we try to maintain an open mind and, and take the whole situation into consideration. Because even if they do seem to be um, imagining uh, uh, this is a fantasy or it's a result of mental illness, we still will eventually test for paranormal activity just to rule that out to rule out certain possibilities. Sure, because just because someone's telling you that uh, it's because someone may be handicapped, mentally handicapped, and they're saying that something's happening, that's still a real possibility that something is happening. Sure. And I, and I understand that. And that's good that you keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. What's the wildest, wildest thing you've ever witnessed that caught on film? Earlier when you were talking about um, both the guys, you said uh, sometimes they, they make chairs uh, shake uh, and beds a flip and, and all of that. What's the wildest thing that you have caught on film or, or that you witnessed? Well, the wildest thing that I've witnessed is uh, it was during a case of demonic possession where uh, my brother was sitting in a chair and it happened to be a rather heavy, heavy family chair. My brother was sitting in it and uh, at the beginning, this was during an exorcism, the chair with my brother in it moved back about four feet with him in it. 
criticism is being pulled, but he's looking around as if what's happening. So that was a considerable weight, a heavy ease chair with my brother sitting in it. And um, you heard rumbling on the floor. You actually felt it was almost like a minor earth tremor, you felt, but it was it was moving along the floor in a certain direction. You, you hear and feel it moving along, vibration moving along the floor. The floor. When it uh, reached my brother, the chair just went back about four feet. Now, you said this happened during an exorcism. Are, are you an actual exorcist as well, or do you bring in somebody else that specializes in that, in that area? Or is it done the, the, um, the Christian way with Roman with the Roman Catholic doctrine, if you will? Mm -hmm. Which way is it? Or is there more than one way of performing an exorcism? Well, I often try, when it comes down, yes, when it comes down to the situation, I do try to involve clergy. I try to involve ordained clergy. However, um, I believe that scripture points to Jesus gave his followers power over the demonic. He gives us protection over the demonic and that we have the ability to cast out the demonic. However, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody just jumping in and trying to cast out the demonic. It can be very, very dangerous, very dangerous situation, and um, there's a lot of preparation that goes into this. So um, when possible, I do try to uh, include the clergy and work alongside the clergy. But if it's a situation where clergy are not available, then we try to do what we can ourselves. Now, uh, you, you say you involve the clergy, but, I mean, we've always been told, uh, at least on the Roman Catholic side of things, that right. the church does not condone exorcism, but now uh, the, the new Pope, Pope Benedict, is, yes. has started to have these classes at the Vatican to, to train people. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's such uh, a presence of evil out there in the world today that the clergy has to change their position? Actually, not to, to correct you, but they were started uh, under the Pope who just passed, John Paul, actually. Started, oh, really? Yes. And, and, and just to add to that question that he asked you here, we're trying to piggy back it for you then. Mm -hmm. I hope we're not keeping you too busy making it do all this thing. From what I understand, it is a long line of documentation yeah. in the Roman Catholic document, uh, and uh, if you will, um, on exorcism. Um, right. Have you researched that? Have you read stories on that? Uh, are stories of real exorcism available to the general public through book form? Now, I know that they just made a movie, uh, The Exorcism of what was it? Emily Rose. Emily Rose. Uh, yeah. And that's supposedly based on a true story. And in that film, again, they show priests, but I know that's Hollywood, you know what I mean, for that Hollywood effect. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but is there a long line of documentation on exorcisms uh, through the Vatican or through whatever organization? Right. Through the Roman Catholic Church, there is extensive documentation of uh, the history of exorcism, which is going on. When the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, gets involved for a possible exorcism, um, a priest does not have the authority to simply come in and, and perform an exorcism. A priest can bless a house, but to perform an actual exorcism over a human being, a priest would need permission from the bishop. And uh, once the priest uh, presents this to his bishop, there must be extensive investigation. There must be literally weeks and months of psych psychiatric evaluation, medical history, the whole history of the uh, family or the person themselves before permission can be given for an actual exorcism to take place because there's only certain criteria that the Roman Catholic Church will accept before they agree to an exorcism. Now, a lot of these uh, supposed exorcist, uh, demonic possession cases of earlier times, they've tried to dismiss in the modern era saying it was simply, you know, mental disease, some sort of uh, schizophrenia or epilepsy is another common cause. Right. Uh, what kind of process do you have to go through to eliminate some of those potential factors? Well, I try to find out how, what the client has been through. Has the client been through medical treatment for possible mental illness? I always encourage the client. Please, if you're involved with therapy, continuing this therapy, um, there's always the potential that there may be a mental illness. My brother has a good saying about that. He says that in cases of the paranormal that he's seen most of the time, it is usually 90% psychological and 10% parapsychological. So there's usually, even when there's genuine paranormal phenomena involved, there's usually some psychiatric, uh, there's, there's room for, uh, in other words, there's room for 
psychiatric evaluation. There always is. I think that the, the people involved should always consult medical professionals, should always, you know, we, we go through this, in other words, with a very holistic approach. You know, what has caused this? We try to get the, the root of the problem. What is causing this? Even if there is paranormal involvement, there could also be psychological involvement. And uh, now your brother, uh, your brother's name is Carl, correct? Yes, yes, my brother's name is Carl. Both of you are involved with the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Yes, we are. And uh, in which uh, fans of the show Ghost Hunters know that that's TAPS, and, and they have investigated places around here. Now, were you involved in the New Bedford Armory investigation? I personally was not involved with that. I know everybody who was involved, but I personally was not there at the time. And, and but what, what work do you do with TAPS? I mean, do they do a lot of this analysis and then bring you in for your demonology expertise? Sometimes, although I've been an investigator with the Atlantic Paranormal Society for several years, so um, I've been investigating right along. It's not always that I'm brought in in a case that might uh, involve a demonic, because I am a regular investigator, too. I always have been a regular investigator with the Atlantic Paranormal Society. So, you know, usually I'm there from the beginning of the investigation right up until the end. Of course, there's always um, different factors that if there's something that it's an emergency situation, I may be brought into it to consult. But I was not there personally on the uh, armory investigation. But now, now TAPS has a different approach to ghost hunting as, as other organizations do. Instead of bringing in psychics or mediums mm -hmm. uh, or, or dousing rods even, sometimes to that effect, they bring in a lot of scientific equipment. Yeah. And do you find that that lends itself to, to your beliefs in the paranormal, or is that kind of, you know, like a little bit of a push-and-pull situation? Oh, I, I believe in scientific investigation. Yes, I, I believe in scientific investigation 100%. And even if there's um, a situation where there may be a sensitive involved. We don't always use the word um, psychic. We usually use the word sensitive. If the sensitive is involved, that doesn't mean it's definite proof. However, if the sensitive is involved, they may give you some pointers. They may give you an idea, say, if they're feeling something. Say a sensitive says, I'm feeling something happen. There's a cold spot here. Something happened right here. I'm feeling it. Uh, it won't hurt to uh, point the cameras in that direction, snap a few pictures, take some video, take some recordings, use thermal imaging, because the, um, the worst that can happen is you come out with nothing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I believe I believe in that to that extent, yes. Okay, if I could uh, jump back to um, uh, Hollywood for a moment. Sure. Um, Maybe about a year and a half ago, uh, there was a film to produce, and I had the name in my head, and now I, I've forgotten it, um, about different characters and individuals. A film produced based on a true story, different characters and individuals that were hearing uh, or making out clear voices. Either the white noise? Yes. White noise, yes. Can you please, thank you very much. Sure. Can you please, do you look into that, and can you please explain to the listening audience that we've gone over a poltergeist? Guys, we've gone over demons. Uh, I think most people, uh, I, I believe in exorcism. There's no doubt. If I believe in God, so in order for me to believe in God, I have to believe in the devil. The, the, right. I, it, it's, I don't like the devil. I don't worship the devil, but he has to exist. If one of the has to be down, that's right. Sure. All right. So with all that in mind, can you? And we've got touched on a lot of things, and, and a lot of people I don't think have heard of white noise. Mm -hmm. so can you? Can you touch on that? Is that possible, Keith? Sure. Okay. White noise. Keeping you busy, huh, Keith? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I like to be busy. Good. I, I usually am busy on weekend nights, so, <laughs> so there's no different because we usually are on an investigation. And um, so talking about it is no problem at all. I hear you, buddy. Right. <laughs> so, um, boys, is elect, like an electronic discharge noise, kind of like when you put your TV onto the snow station or you put the radio onto a neutral station, you get that really buzzing static sound. That's what white noise is. Now, that sometimes has been used uh, to um, to record EVPs. It's used as a conductor for EVPs. EVP stands for electronic voice phenomena. When a voice will be recorded that you won't necessarily hear with your ears, you won't hear it audibly, but when you play the tape back, it will be there. Sometimes uh, white noise, that static sound, has been instrumental in capturing voice phenomena on tape and on recordings. 
it seems to be used as a vehicle. Now, the downside of white noise is it's interference. There's a couple of things that, that's a downside of white noise, and which is why I personally do not use white noise when recording. Number one, it's it interferes with the recording because you want to try to, if you get a clear or semi-clear EVP, electronic voice phenomena, you want to be able to clear that up. Now, when you use white noise, you've got to remove the white noise too, and that can interfere with the recording. You know, you, you're getting rid of the white noise, but you might get, be getting rid of some of the message that's on there too. So that's why I personally do not like to use white noise. The second problem with white noise is that it's very easy to matrix. Now, what I mean by that, matrix is your mind is telling you you're hearing something or seeing something. It's making something out of something that might not be there. So when you hear that buzzing, that static sound, it's very, very easy to imagine that you're hearing voices in there that aren't there. So that's, that's the two reasons that I personally don't like to use white noise. Some people do, however. Some people prefer to use that. And a lot of the times with, uh, with the EVP phenomena, uh, with now with the digital age and people can record this stuff digitally, there is less need to have white noise to pick it up because digital can be so sensitive. And at oh, yeah. the same time, it's, it's less tamper-proof, whereas, you know, with a tape, especially those mini tape recorders, you could be recording something and what you're actually hearing is the backwards version of what's on the other side because those tapes are so thin and delicate. Oh, yes, 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 definitely. And, uh, no, when you record these type of things, you prefer to go digital? Um, well, I, I prefer to use analog. Mm -hmm. Digital is good, but it's it's very it's more difficult to uh, to transfer when you're uploading, say, to a computer. Although digital can you can capture some good voices and good phenomena with digital. I prefer to use analog. It is, uh, it is easier sometimes to manipulate uh, the digital audio once it's been uploaded, and it's, it's the same thing as photoshopping a ghost photo. Right, exactly. Now, uh, you have a class coming up here uh, in New Bedford here. We have the South Coast Learning uh, Group, and, and you actually teach a class in ghost hunting for those that would be interested in learning about it. Why don't you talk a little bit about the, uh, the, what you teach in that class? But, but, but before you do that, let me just tell folks it's going to take place Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the 3rd of February. Uh, it's going to be, our uh, location is in New Bedford at the uh, South Coast Learning Center, which is exactly, uh, oh yeah, Keith, the South Coast Learning Center, where's the class? Um, I believe that's, um, let me see if I can get the exact, uh, the exact location. Uh, it's the old Cherry and Webb building. Yeah, 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 it is, yeah. Annex building. Uh, yep, the uh, Annex building. Mm -hmm. The old Cummings it's building. It's on Dover Street. Oh, uh, what street? Uh, Dover Street, I believe it's on oh, Dover Street. Oh, that's a different one then. Uh -huh. That's not downtown. Okay, but that's all right. You, you can look uh, up at that. But I wanted to let folks know that, that you can attend this class. Non-members of South Coast Learning Center is $35. Uh, members is only $25. There's no uh, fees and materials. So all you have to do is contact the South Coast Learning Center anyway, and give you the info. Right, and that's a local organization. Most people here know what it is, but they have a website, www.southcoastlearning.org, uh, for those listening. Uh, and maybe you can tell them what you're going to go over and what you're going to teach them. Okay. Uh, what we begin with, we begin with the introduction, of course, telling who we are and what we do and how we got into this um, field of investigation in the first place. Then the next thing we go over is the actual investigation. What we do, actually what I've just been explaining now, how we go into a house, uh, meet and greet the client, do the interview, and then set up our equipment. That's what I go over next in this class, the actual investigation and equipment. If somebody was going to an actual location, the steps they would take upon arriving at the house, entering the house, what they would do from there. So that's what we go over first. From there we go on to the different types of hauntings, different types of hauntings and anomalies. Then we go on to EVPs, and we do play several examples of EVPs during the class so people can actually hear voices that we've caught, which are referred to as ghost voices, EVPs, electronic voice phenomena. We play examples of that. Then we go into photo anomalies and case photos where we take an actual photographs and uh, show anomalies that have come out in these photos and the different things they can uh, expect to see if it's actual legitimate paranormal photography or if it might be just a photographic glitch and how to tell the difference. Then we go on to uh, video. We show video of actual cases we've investigated and one of those is actually a case of demonic possession we show on the video. 
And at the end, we go into questions and answers. The last uh, section of the class is anybody who wants any questions answered or wants to share their own experience. So that, in a nutshell, is what we cover in the class. And now, a lot of people uh, are, are gaining an interest in this. And what, what they might not understand is that if, uh, if ghost hunting is something you want to get into, it's actually quite affordable to get some of this equipment. I mean, it seems so high tech, mm -hmm. but these, uh, these gauss meters and, and digital recorders or even analog recorders, a lot of it is pretty affordable. Uh, do you have certain recommended uh, types of equipment that you bring with you to these investigations? Well, um, we bring recorders with us, of course. Um, anything like you were mentioning, we use um, either digital or analog. If you are using analog, um, if you are using a tape recorder, I would suggest that it has uh, a microphone that's not inbuilt. It should be um, with an external microphone. Now, because of that, it will eliminate the gear noise and the noise of the tape sprockets itself. Because you know, if you don't have, if you have a built-in mic, it can really pick up the internal workings of the tape recorder. Very good point. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's always best to use an external mic. Um, another thing we use is um, video equipment. We use uh, video recorders, digital recorders, and uh, thermal imaging recorders as well. Thermal imaging can get rather expensive, but uh, regular video cameras, uh, they, they can be very easily affordable. And of course, we don't buy this equipment all at once. We, you know, as we go along, we buy some more and we improve. And as you can actually see on the TV show uh, Ghost Hunters, there's much more equipment on the second season than there is on the first season. Yeah. So, you, so you, as you go along, you That's you how channel money, though, coming into play, too, a little bit, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. And um, use EMF. Uh, meters to uh, gauge the um, the electric magnetic field distortion, and we can also use a regular compass. A regular compass comes in use, and that's very um, very affordable. And uh, so, a lot of this equipment and you know regular cameras, you can use any any kind of camera, um, digital or regular 35 millimeter. I personally recommend 35 millimeter with um, at least 400 to 800 speed film. That seems to work best for capturing uh, actual anomalies and ruling out uh, camera glitches mostly. And of course, as, uh, as Jason and Grant always tell everybody on TAPS, you want to make sure you bring plenty of extra batteries in case you do run into some sort of uh, spiritual activity. This is a good point. This is a good point because we've had batteries run out, brand new batteries, the energy. If you're in um, a location where there's actual paranormal activity going on, it will just suck the batteries dry. We've seen this happen time and time again. And... Uh, this is what I learned. One of the first things I learned about paranormal investigation was always to bring extra batteries because I had other investigators saying, Keith, do you have any other batteries? Do you have any extra batteries? Because mine just ran out. So I'd always be the one that uh, made sure to bring up extra batteries because really, this will, this will happen. Batteries will just, the energy will be sucked right out of them. Now, it happened time and time again. Now, we, uh, we only have a few minutes here, but uh, why don't you tell everybody about your website and your organization, New England Anomalies Research, and what's available on the website? I, I just, before you do that, uh, and I think we, you have time to answer this quick question here, do you, do you bump into a lot of people that call you to do ghost uh, hunting and do various other spiritual uh, uh, things? Do you bump into a lot of witchcraft? Uh, here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, believe it or not, witchcraft is, is popular. There's mm -hmm. a place here in the city uh, where witches meet, I think, once uh, every month, uh, once every two months. Um, uh, Matt's house. <laughs> uh, right. do, do you bump into uh, a lot of those individuals? Do they seem to be more in touch uh, with contacting uh, spirits and uh, getting in touch with you than the average person? I wouldn't say I, I run into a lot, but once in a while we do. Once in a while we do. Um, there was a case recently that uh, it was, this was um, not with my own group, but it was in conjunction with New England Paranormal. Now, New England Paranormal is run by Steve Gonzalez, who you recognize from the TV show. He's the one with all the tattoos. <laughs> yes, I did. He's a tattooed man. Well, he runs New England Paranormal, and um, this is actually how Steve and I met through TAPS. Um, we're good friends. We've been good friends for years. And whenever somebody needed a uh, blessing, because a lot of groups actually don't have somebody that actually does cleansing, uh, spiritual blessings. 
So that's how he asked if I could uh, join him on a case, and so that's how, that's how Steve and I met. And this was in conjunction with New England Paranormal, where uh, the client was actually um, pagan. She was into witchcraft, and she was into paganism, and she had had some uh, disturbances in her house. I guess there had been a suicide. Not that the suicide took place there, but a young man who lived there had committed suicide. So she was having some... Um, some bad problems with manifestations, uh, noises and shadow figures appearing and unexplained illnesses in the family. So I came in there and um, my wife and I actually went through the whole house, did an entire blessing through the house. We did a Christian blessing, even though this one was pagan. And she very much appreciated that. And uh, she told us that things have calmed down there quite a bit. The paranormal activity has calmed down there. And um, so we had no, no problem at all with that. All right. Um, we got about, let's say, about two minutes. Uh, why don't you tell folks, uh, like Tim said, about your website and about how they can contact you and do a little self-promotion, Nikki. Okay. My personal website is New England Anomalies Research. Um, the website is www.near.s5.com. And we also have a link up to that on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Okay. Uh, for those who want to check it out. And, and it, is, it is a huge, huge resource for demonology info. It might be one of the foremost on the web. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that, and any final questions for you guys before we uh, say goodbye to me? No, hey, hey, it was a pleasure. Uh, keep uh, Break a leg. I do a lot. Of yeah, thank you very much. So you know what I mean by that for your show. In the show business, it's Break a Leg. Keep it going. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's uh, a wonderful and uh, maybe sometime you could actually come down to the studio here I'd love say, to. and sit in with us. Uh, I'd love to. Just let me know when. There's a, a couple of haunted places right around us all over here. Great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. Very rich area in it. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much, Keith, and uh, You're again, welcome. all the information is on SpookySouthCoast.com about Keith's class and everything, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime in the future. Okay, thank you very much. God bless. God and bless you, too. Thank you. All right, we need to take a one-minute break, and then we'll come back, and uh, Tim will have a, a quick word for you before we hit the news, and then we'll be back on the flip side of the news. Don't go away. You are listening to WBSM 1420. <laughs> A romantic Valentine's Day with wind flowers, tulip, even a makeover, and chauffeured limo. They're all part of WBSM's Love is in the Air. Enjoy dinner at Elizabeth's Fine Dining. Beautiful flowers from Treeland Nurseries. Sparkling jewelry from AMA Jewelers. A makeover from Strand Salon Hair and Nail Salon. And the use of a chauffeured limo from BML Limousine. To win, visit any participating Love is in the Air sponsor and enter your name. Nothing to buy. Rules available at WBSM.com. Enter free at any Jewelers Dartmouth Town Center or at Elizabeth's Fine Dining Fairhaven Center. Grand prize drawing is Friday the 10th with Pete Brayley. Love is in the air in time for Valentine's Day with AM 1440 WBSM. Spooky South Coast, we're coming up on the news break, and then after, on the other side, we're going to have a little bit of our own news uh, segment we're going to call This Week in Weird, where we have some strange stories you might not have heard on the regular newscasts, and then we'll have open lines. We want to hear your stories at uh, 508-996-0500 and 508-291-0500 for Wareham in the Cape. This is your time. You've been waiting. We've been waiting to hear from you. We want to hear about your ghost, alien, Bigfoot encounters of all sorts. That's right. Uh, Bigfoot, uh, uh, maybe even uh, stories uh, maybe you have questions actually of, of something that may be going on uh, in your home uh, or at your workplace uh, or things that you've you've heard uh, or witnessed uh, prior. Um, we want to hear from all of that, uh, all of that different stuff. There's a bunch of stuff that I know that transpires uh, in these, some of these older buildings, and uh, I know you have stories to share with us. So uh, we want to hear. We want to hear uh, all of them. Um, Maybe even some theories too. People may have questions. You know, there are, there is a lot of documentation out there about uh, a lot of different things, from the Mothman, which exists here in our time today, uh, uh, to the friendly ghost in the attic. So, myself, Tim, and Matt wants to hear uh, from you. So you give us a call after the CBS News, which is coming up right now. Yes, 
with that creature that vanished 28,000 years ago. And those were some big boys, so I don't know how I feel about sheep. Time, we got cows. Uh, we thought we had something in Korea, but that ended up being a phony. And if you know what I'm talking about, the, the human clone that walked talking, the other thing that that guy cloned out there, uh, ended up being a phony. But the sheep is real. Uh, the cows are real. Various other animals are real. Um, so why why not this? I don't know if you want to want to take this call and then Tim. Uh, and then yeah, we'll take the calls. Anybody that wants to call with their personal stories or uh, questions, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500 for Wareham and the Cape. Hello and welcome to Spooky South Coast. You are our first caller. Hello. Yes, you are. Oh, thank you. Um, is this about the paranormal? Yes. Is, do you have uh, something paranormal you'd like to share with us? Or did you have a question? Or? I believe in the, in the, in the uh, paranormal. Yes, I do very much so. Why? Tell us why. I'm experienced from my grandmother. And the money that my son received is no good in the cellar. This is, this is a very sad story. I'm not saying that I don't want to extract the sympathy. Okay. Okay? Uh, and, um, so I, we want to hear the story. I'm, I'm going to tell you. And we'll be patient with you. Okay. This is an um, only isolated incident that I, 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 I have a police flashing my head. And then they happened. I had a premonition of my son's death months before it happened. And, uh, yes, I do. And other, other incidents. When my grandmother dies, it was 1 o'clock in the morning, I was getting ready for school. Because I, I, I did work, uh, you know, I was 14, 15, and she went and I did babysit. And I came in, I, I was designing my clothes, and mommy was seated in the other room, and the girl was in the hospital. And it was just as if the court's reason after that was the belief in the paranormal. It's clear across the board. And every nation from the, I even asked the Chinese person if they had experience and he said, yes, we had. Okay, so. Yeah, well, everybody does. It doesn't discriminate race, nationality. People have all kinds of experiences. Well, some people think that, uh, Evan, some people think it's only over the Portuguese. Oh, no. No. I, well, we don't think that, ma'am. Because now I'm but first, my mother had, my mother had an experience where we were all of those children downstairs. I'm not kidding, there's so much to tell in such a short time. My mother had an experience, and um, we were all downstairs, and daddy was down in the plane, and she shouted downstairs, Dad, where are the kids? Are they in my clothes? Dad says, no, they're all down here. She let out one blood curtain screen. I daddy took the stairs two at a time and I was right behind him. Her whole bed short, she says, there was an apparition there, I'm a lady. A hat, the black hat, the coat, handbag, everything. And she kept wanting, the fingers over, the apparition wanted to come to the bed when mama leaves. And, um, well, okay, the following morning, my little girl calls up and says, this is the home phone, guys. She was there one week in her home, behind her, like stove or whatever, all in black. My mother never cared to discuss that. Mm. All right. So she died, and when she died, she showed up before ascending, if you will. And, and, and my mother says, why didn't she go to my sugar? Why didn't she go to you? You were not friends. Why did she come to me? And my mother would never discuss the issue that this was real. It happened to her. And it, and it was oh, I know of other people in, in my personal life that, that something like that has happened to. People that I know and have known for 30 years, uh, 25 years that, that this has happened to. And, and sometimes when these spirits do make themselves known to somebody, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, because you were her friend or she, she went to somebody that she wasn't so familiar with. It's really whoever is out there and able to listen at that time. And, and your mother was obviously very receptive to that. 
receptive to them are because she was such a good friend uh, she decided not to go uh, to you because she maybe was afraid how you wouldn't react you wouldn't believe it or maybe you think you were seeing something that you weren't seeing so sometimes they pick a third party that might be more receptive uh, on the flip side of that more skeptical which makes it even more a little less emotional a little less emotional yes. oh my god my mother now what about your what about your premonition that you had? Well, okay, now um, I was walking along the bank, of the, of the, of the bank, and then someone was out to my neighbor, and I stopped shop and I began to cry. So and so, I think, my son's gonna die. My son's gonna die. Don't don't think about that. Well, this is that. You know that stinking thinking and just having that thought. My son is younger than three months. I also had a painting on the bed. It was a quiet December day, nice day. And I danced it up in bed and I said, what the heck is that? Somebody in the casket. That somebody was my son. But you see, when we're dead, we don't look like we think we're alive. Okay, so, okay, now we'll go on the one that, that necessarily in the same form that you remember them by. Uh, they may not have been able to fully materialize as well. I mean, it takes a terrific amount of energy for a paranormal activity to happen, for, for a spirit to manifest. It takes a terrific amount of energy that they must draw from somewhere. And unfortunately, sometimes in order to get enough energy to make themselves fully to you, they'd have to suck some of your energy out. So it's, it's kind of like a, a loving caress almost to get this little bit of a glimpse of somebody who's passed on. I think you're trying to tell me. Right. Don't forget, ma'am, everything in this world, in the world that me and you live in right now, mm -hmm. is made of energy. It's made of atoms and energy, from the pencil that you may be holding in your hand to the telephone to the plastic on the radio. It's all alive. It's all atoms. It's all energy. Mm -hmm. So when a spirit comes over, they, like Tim just said, they have to draw on, on that energy. And uh, sometimes they don't manifest that way. And the other thing to keep in mind as to why they don't show, may not show their face, is because some of them, it's just this soul, it's this spirit. Uh, and their spirit and their soul is more of a light and a, and a figure than it is uh, a human body. It doesn't have the, the features of the, of the corporal body. Right. Now, it's interesting that you say that you're legally blind. And I understand that if you don't want to talk about it, I mean, that's, that's But in, in some cases, so you did have full sight at one point. I like my full sight, yeah. So, and a lot of people feel that as the regular normal visual sight erodes or disappears, you get that kind of second sight that kind of extra vision and and so you know you might find yourself picking up and perceiving things that other people don't even realize are there that's a bad thing that is a bad do you uh, when these things try to think back now when these couple of things that have happened uh, to you yeah. right before they happened directly after they happened uh, did you feel a burst of cold air two children there and, and they were watching television and you could take the place that I was preoccupied. It could have been, you know, I, I could have felt that, but I, I would have ignored it. You would have ignored the person. Uh, yes, I would have. I had a, a bit of cold humanity if my son is around. Do you have yes, I do. I haven't had a boy, and then I know I haven't had that for a long time. Have you ever had a cat? A cat? Yeah, a cat. C-A-T, cat. Have you ever had a cat? I don't know. I guess I have it. Yeah. That animal let me know that this is the end. You know, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes cats freak out, 
right. That's because they're feeling oh, that energy. Well, and that's uh, why they zap them, because I'm, they're I'm, very perceptive to that. I mean, I, I have a theory, man, um, and maybe you agree with me on this. I'm sorry, could I, could I just get your first name? No. Okay, and, and you might agree with me on this. I think that a lot of this sensory perception that people don't have, it's because we almost train ourselves at a young age to not believe in this. Because when we, as young kids, we might feel something, we say to our parents, like, oh, geez, you're just, you know, you're imagining things. But some people, and animals, as Evan said especially, they don't have that block. And it seems to me that you're very perceptive and, and very able to believe that this stuff is happening. And that's why spirits are able to reach out to you. Well, I would say 